Spoiler alert. <laughs> the movie uh, Don't Look Up, it came out on Netflix last year. It tells the story of a group of astronomers who discover uh, that a comet is heading straight for Earth. Uh, these astronomers, led by Leonardo DiCaprio, who at some point had escaped his watery death in the North Atlantic to go on to study astronomy, they do their best uh, to try to convince the world and the government that the threat is real and that the Earth really will be destroyed. Sadly, but quite humorously, if you watch the movie, uh, people are generally too distracted with their lives to... Uh, bother with any such existential threat. They don't look up uh, until it is too late. Now, the people who accept the facts, however, they have a decision to make. How will they spend the last day of their lives? Some of them go about their business. Some of them uh, engage in mayhem and violence. Leonardo DiCaprio's character, however, he decides to invite some of, her, some of his astronomer buddies over for dinner. They cook some spaghetti, they have some wine, uh, enjoy some conversation. Timothy Chalamet uh, prays a very nice prayer while they wait for the earth to blow up. And then it does. So if you knew that the earth was going to be destroyed tonight, how would you want to spend your last day? Who would you want to go see? Family, friends, enemies? Uh, what would you want to go do? Go on a hike? Play one last board game, Settlers of Catan, one last round. What would you do with your last night? I mean, you, you, you got to know that as Christians, we believe the world will end one way or another. All things will come crashing down. Maybe it will happen through a comet or a global thermal nuclear war or, or environmental collapse or the rise of the machines or fungal zombies. <laughs> I listened to a, a podcast a couple years ago called The End of the World with Josh Clark, and it described the eight most likely scenarios uh, on which, uh, in, which might involve the end of life as we know it, and they're all terrifying. Yeah, I don't know what podcast you guys are listening to, but I listen to podcasts, The End of the World with Josh Clark. Uh, so those eight scenarios, they're, they're all terrifying, and here's the, here's the thing. They're all far more likely than we want to admit. So one way or another, the world will end. If that were happening tonight, how would you want to spend your last day? The Bible actually talks about this. In a passage from the book of First Peter, the author discusses the end of the world. And Peter actually tells us what we should be doing as we wait for the end to come. And based on what he writes, it actually doesn't sound that much different from how our astronomer friends spend their last evening serving, hosting, loving each other right up till the end. And that's what I want to talk about with you this morning. We're in a series right now called The One Another's, and this series is all about the one another passages in uh, the Bible. Uh, you see, to be a follower of Christ uh, doesn't just mean to be saved from sin and death. It does mean that, but also to be a follower of Christ means to be called into a new community, a new family. That's what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a new community, a new family, but that can be hard to do. So the Bible has a lot to say to us about how to do it. And the Bible's general instruction when it comes to being a, a new church family, the Bible's general instruction is blank one another. 
And that blank one another, this phrase is used dozens and dozens of times in Scripture, and that blank is filled in with all kinds of very important verbal commands, like love one another, and submit to one another, and confess your sins to one another, and accept one another. And the emphasis here is on the one anotherness of this. It's not just, you know, me or the elders of the pastors, like, doing this for every, but it's us doing it for each other. And something else the Bible tells us to do is to serve one another. We should serve one another because we love one another, because God loves us and God shows us how much he loves us by coming to serve us here on earth. But we should also serve one another in light of the fact that the day of Christ's arrival is coming soon. And the Bible says that that is the thing he wants to see us doing when he gets here. Serving one another. Let me share with you our passage for the morning. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. End of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve one another as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you're familiar with the book of 1 Peter, you know that it's a medium-length book in the New Testament that the Apostle Peter writes to Christians who have been scattered around the Roman Empire. So the word of Jesus was out and the Christian movement was growing, but it was encountering some resistance from Romans and, and Jews throughout the land. So these pacifist Christians, filled with the love of Jesus, were being increasingly persecuted, sometimes even violently, and Peter writes to them to encourage them to not give up their pursuit of holiness. No matter how much they're persecuted, don't give up. He also reassures them that their suffering won't last forever. This is a theme in Peter's letters. Jesus is on his way. The end of all things is near, Peter keeps saying. Either through death or through the arrival of Jesus or a comet from the sky, their struggle will someday end and they will be rewarded for their faith. But while the end of all things is near, while the end of all things is eventual, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's immediate. Who knows when it will be? But as long as the sun is still shining, as long as the earth is still spinning, we have lives to live and work to do, and we should do all these things in light of Christ's arrival. We don't want to be found by Jesus having forgotten that he was coming back. This is actually a theme of Jesus during his teaching ministry on earth. Jesus taught a lot of stories a lot of parables about his return, his eventual return. And in these stories, one of the themes that Jesus keeps coming back to in these stories, one of these themes that he keeps hammering is that you don't want to be caught sleeping when he returns. You want to be found busy 
doing what he's called us to do. In the Gospel of Matthew, for example, Jesus tells the story of the faithful servants. In the story, a master leaves his home with the servants in charge. Jesus says if the master returns, shows up at the door, and finds the servants giving the family their food and caring for their needs, he will actually put these servants in charge of all his possessions. It's a little bit of a test. We'll see how you do when I leave, and then when I come back, and if I find you doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're going to get everything. But, Jesus says, suppose, just suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect. And at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, this got violent. What? He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the future for people who are found not serving as God left them to do. Now, that's, you know, a bothersome ending. As you can tell, Jesus isn't afraid, though, to use violent, gruesome imagery to get our attention. He wants us to be ready when the comet arrives. So again, I ask you, what do you want to be found doing on the final night of your lives? Or since we don't know when that actually might happen, what do we do in the meantime in case it is the final night of our lives? Well, Peter answers that question for us. He tells us to be busy primarily doing two things. First, he tells us to pray. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. So Timothy Chalamet, one with the church game, is on the right track. He's got praying in the video. With Jesus on his way, we just got a lot to think about, right? We got a lot to repent of. We got a lot of people to pray for, family, friends, enemies. Don't waste time in your life on beer and drink. Be sober-minded, Peter writes, so that you can pray. But the other thing that Peter tells us to do while we wait, and the thing I want to focus in on this morning, is to serve. Serve others. That's what we should be doing while we're waiting. That's what Jesus wants to find us doing, praying and serving As Paul puts it elsewhere, serve one another humbly in love. This is what God wants to find us doing when he arrives on the comet, serving one another humbly. Why? Because if he shows up and he finds us serving one another, he'll know that we get it. He'll know that we understand who he is, what he left us to do. He'll know that we understand what it means to be Christians, joined together as a family to care for one another, but it's what we got to be doing when he gets here. I was up at uh, Afton High School a few months ago during football season at one of the football games. And the principal, Dr. Myers, uh, she came up to me and she said, Mr. Herndon, I caught your daughter this week. So what do you mean you caught my daughter? Was she uh, on the loose? (laughs) She said, no, no, no. No, I I, I caught her being kind. Like, oh. Apparently, she walked into the lunchroom the other day 
And uh, this is Dr. Meyer speaking. I saw her and her friends, they were finishing lunch and leaving the table and all her friends left behind all their trash all over the table. And Miranda started to walk away, but decided to turn back and clean up all her friends' trash. And I said, well, this is ironic. (laughs) (laughs) I'm quite familiar with cleaning up my children's trash. Dr. Meyer said, well, maybe that's where she learned it, but I caught her being kind. Jesus wants to catch you being kind when he shows up. Because if he does, he knows what kind of people we are. As Jesus says in Matthew, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. The, 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 the principal is going to walk into the lunchroom. You don't expect him. But what is he going to find you doing? What are we going to be found doing? Serving one another humbly in love. Now, if you've been hanging around Rooftop for any length of time, hopefully you know that we talk a lot about service here at Rooftop. Service is one of our our big six key practices. There's sort of six things that we really try to focus in on uh, here at Rooftop uh, that we think all Christians should just devote themselves to. uh, Teaching, worship, evangelism, community, service, prayer. Those are our sort of six key practices. And if you want to remember them, you can use this mnemonic device, that which every church should practice. You know, teaching, worship, every evangelism. See see how that works? Brilliant. Brilliant, isn't it? Yes. Um, These are the six things that we just try to to focus in on. And service is one of our key practices. And so much of what we do around here is service-oriented. We've got service ministries, like our fostering and adoption ministry, our homeless ministry, which goes out on Monday nights, our our food pantry, which works on Thursdays, our meals ministry, which is always making meals for families, hungry families, our Mexico mission, our small groups try to practice service. They're not just groups of people that get together to study the Bible. They're more than that. They're like, how can we study the Bible and serve one another in love? I myself have been the beneficiary of Rooftop as a serving community. I remember many years ago uh, when our son was in the hospital, my house was like literally falling apart. I just had no time to like fix anything on my house. So one of our elders, Blake, he organized a work day. And one Saturday, there were just like 50 rooftopters just showed up and fixed my whole house. They just fixed my whole house. It was like I was living in an entirely new abode at the end of the day. So, so service is just, it's part of our DNA. And we live it out. At least we try. But part of the reason serving one another in love is part of our DNA is because we teach it. We know we always have to, more to learn about how to serve one another. And that's why we're going to talk about it again this morning. Peter himself has a lot to teach us about how we can keep growing as a community devoted to serving one another in love. What Peter talks about here and what I want to focus in on is how we are to do that, how we are to serve one another. Peter tells us we are to serve one another sincerely, we are to serve one another specifically, and we are to serve one another spiritually. Serve one another sincerely, serve one another specifically, and serve one another spiritually. That's what I want to talk about with you this morning. We'll start with the first. Serve one another sincerely. As the Apostle Paul writes in verses 8 through 9, above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
Love one another deeply. Offer hospitality without grumbling, he says. Uh, Peter has already made this point once in his letter, way back in chapter one. He says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And even Paul, this is a theme in the New Testament, even Paul tells us in Romans that love must be sincere. There's just a difference, right, between love and like sincere love. And we all know what it looks and feels like to serve and be served by uh, someone who's not very sincere about it. The other day I was at Chick-fil-A, driving through the drive-thru, getting my uh, chicken sandwich, got my sandwich, and my happy guy, because you got your Chick-fil-A sandwich, and you say, thank you. And the guy in the drive-thru window is like, my pleasure. I'm like, not feeling it. Not feeling like that was your pleasure, what just happened? You know, even Chick-fil-A guys are allowed to have like the occasional off day, and I'm not one to talk here, you know? That's what I felt like in the, in the, in the window. My pleasure. You can take that slide down. I don't want to look at Gollum anymore. Anyway, I'm not one to talk here. I, I, uh, my family knows, my friends know, my staff knows. I can be a uh, grumpy smurf a lot. Um, I, I, uh, I serve a lot out of duty. I serve a lot out of obligation. Um, I, I do what I need to do, even if I don't want to do it. But there are limitations to serving people out of duty. Uh, my family knows when I'm serving them out of obligation. Church members can tell if I'm not really into it. And sure, I'm getting the job done at whatever it is that I'm doing, but am I, am I, am I radiating? Am I radiating the love and the, the, the servanthood of Jesus? Am I serving people sincerely? Not always. Uh, one, of, one of our family dinner verses that we pray before dinner on Wednesdays when everybody in our family is like in one location, which is increasingly rare, and we sit down for dinner on Wednesdays, uh, the, the, the scripture that we recite to one another comes, it's actually the same one that Kurt shared with you earlier. It comes from Philippians 2. And the passage is this. Your attitude, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God, but something made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Jesus came to serve, but where did it start? His attitude. He knew who he was as a servant, and we want to have that same attitude where we can serve sincerely from the heart. Last month, I got uh, sick with covid I wasn't really sure what it was because it took a few days to develop and I was scheduled to preach that weekend and I didn't really want to uh, back out, but eventually I just needed to. So like on Thursday afternoon, I, I texted Jeremy. I asked, you know, can you fill in? But if you can't fill in, no worries. You know, we'll just play a bunch of songs or I'll record something on video or something. And, and Jeremy texted back immediately and he said, I'm happy to. I was like, wait a second. What do you mean? Happy? Is this some sort of joke or something? What do you mean you're happy to? So no, I'm actually happy to. Now, I'd be pretty inconvenienced if someone asked me to prepare a new sermon at the last second, but he was happy to. My, my pleasure, he said. 
Eventually, my, my cynicism, I've admitted to you, I'm a deeply cynical man, and my cynicism wore down and I ended up believing him. But I did remember thinking, here's my question, how did Jeremy become that kind of person? How did Jeremy become the kind of person who is happy to serve? I mean, I've already admitted to you, I'm a, not always that person. I grumble, I complain, I'm a golem. How did Jeremy become that type of person? Well, if you know Jeremy... And hopefully you've gotten to know Jeremy. If you know Jeremy, you know that Jeremy knows at the deepest level of his being that Jesus loves him. Like Jesus loves everybody. Jeremy takes time out of his day, religiously, ritualistically, to be reminded of God's sincere and undying love for him and everybody. It fills him up so that when he has the opportunity to serve someone, he is genuinely Happy to. So how do we serve one another sincerely? By being reminded every day of the love of God who sincerely loves us. That was his attitude because that's who he is. Serve one another sincerely. Secondly, Peter writes, serve one another specifically. As Peter has said, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What I mean by specifically is, of course, that each of us should serve one another according to the specific and various gifts that God has given us. That's what it means to be a steward of these gifts. A steward is someone who is in charge of stuff that belongs to somebody else. So whatever gifts we have are given to us by God for the purpose of serving others. God did not have to give us these gifts. We, we do not deserve these gifts, but God gives us these gifts anyway. This is what Peter means when he says, serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its very forms. I'm glad that Peter mentions the gift hospitality here. That's what he says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Uh, the gift of hospitality is mentioned several times in the New Testament, like in Romans 12. Share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. I've already told you over the course of this series that there's actually like 50 separate discrete one another commands in the New Testament. We're not going to get to all of them, but offer hospitality to one another is one of them. But it's worth mentioning because it's such a big one. I mean, before Christianity had buildings, Christianity didn't always have buildings, right? It took like 400 years for Christianity to have buildings. So before Christianity had buildings, how did the gospel grow? Through the hospitality of people who just welcomed strangers, sometimes even enemies, into their home. For worship and prayer and learning and fellowship. Right now I'm reading a, a book on this very thing. It's a fascinating and challenging book. Uh, the book is called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. By author Rosaria Butterfield. I'm only a couple chapters in, but this book is surprisingly challenging. Butterfield argues that whatever we think of when we think of Christian hospitality is not nearly radical enough. When we think of Christian hospitality, usually we think of inviting fun Christian friends over to our house to play games, which, you know, keep doing that, absolutely. But radical Christian hospitality is more than that. Radical Christian hospitality is opening up your doors to the neighborhood, Radical Christian hospitality is opening up your church to the homeless. 
Radical Christian hospitality is opening up your lives to church friends in messy and unpredictable ways. Radical Christian hospitality is opening up your family to orphans. This was how the gospel spread. This was even how Rosaria Butterfield came to Christ. Uh, Before she was a Christian, Butterfield was actually a professor of English literature at Syracuse University and a radical lesbian non-Christian activist. She actually wrote an article in the the local newspaper in which she criticized the the Promise Keepers movement, which is a a Christian men's movement from a while back, and Christian patriarchy in general. She wrote like an an op-ed opposing the Promise Keepers movement. And a local Christian pastor read her article and wrote her a letter inviting her to dinner. She said she actually didn't know how to respond. I mean, she didn't want to go to dinner with this Christian pastor. She justified accepting the dinner invite as a research opportunity on Christians from a scholar's perspective. I'm going to go find out who these people are. But through this dinner, she became friends with the pastor and his wife, and they actually kept having dinner. And over several years, she became a follower of Jesus. Now she is the wife of a pastor. She's adopted several children. She's a Christian writer. That stuff happens, right? That stuff happens. People change like that in radical ways. That stuff happens. That's the power of gospel hospitality. That's the power of what happens when the people of God open up their lives to sinners. This is the power of serving others sincerely with whatever gifts you have. So again, my question is, what gifts do you have? What gifts has God given you? Do you have a home? Do you like to cook? Are you lonely? Invite someone over for dinner. Uh, It doesn't have to be me. Everybody likes to invite the pastor over for dinner, and it's great. I love it, but it doesn't have to be me. I'm not lonely. I'm pretty well fed. There are lots of people here who need company and food more than me. Or maybe hosting isn't your thing, but you can make meals, sign up for the Feed My Sheep ministry. Uh, Or maybe you're a teacher or a volunteer to teach our kids at VBS this summer. Or if you're a business person, you got some spare income, help us save up for our next church plan. Or if you like to pray, sign up for our prayer team or pray for the loo. Or if you're a social worker, we could really use your help on the benevolence team. Basically, you have a gift. You didn't earn your gift. I didn't earn my gift. We don't deserve our gifts. God gives us these gifts. And here's the reality. We don't get to decide how to use them. God decides how we get to use his gifts and what has God told us to do with his gifts. Serve the world, build up the church. And I hate to remind you, I hate to remind you what Jesus says at the end of the parable will happen to people who don't do that. I hate to remind you because it's so scaringly violent. But Jesus was serious about this. How does Peter say we should serve one another? We should serve one another sincerely, specifically, and lastly, we should serve one another spiritually. In verse 11, Peter writes, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. 
So here we're reminded that God gives different people different gifts. Some people speak, some people serve, some people host. But whatever our gifts are, we should use them spiritually by the spiritual power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Frankly, I think of this verse a lot. In fact, in fact it is my, my prayer on Sunday morning. Lord, let my words be your words, please. Let my passion be your passion, please. Let my insights be your insights, please. Let my even my jokes be your jokes, please, because otherwise this is going to go terribly. Maybe you know this prayer. If you're a small group leader, maybe you pray, let my lessons be your lessons. If you're a counselor, maybe you pray, let my advice be your advice. If you're a leader, let my decisions be your decisions. If you're a doctor, let my prescription be your prescription. If you're a barista, let my foam be your foam, Father. Anything good we do to the people around us, let it be by God's wisdom and strength alone. We should serve one another spiritually by the power and the guidance of God. Why? So that God gets the glory. So that in all things, Peter writes, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. We serve in God's strength with God's word so that people might look up. We want them to look up. We don't want them looking at us. God help the world if they end up looking at us. We don't want them looking at rooftop. We want them looking up at the comet, at Jesus who teaches us to serve and is coming back again. I was reminded of that this week, and I'll leave you with this. Our uh, director of communications and outreach, Heather Gain, maybe you know Heather. She's actually been networking in our community, uh, trying to find some opportunities for a rooftop to support families in need. And she's uh, become friends with some of... Um, the social workers uh, in our neighborhood. And we've been able to support some of these families that Heather has connected us and these social workers have connected us to in very helpful ways, uh, helping them with furniture and, and legal needs and stuff like that. And one of Heather's social work contacts actually sent her a very kind text the other day. He admitted in this text, he's not really into church or religion because there's just too many problems with organized religion. And Heather and I were like, oh, yeah, we, we get it. <laughs> However, he went on to say, and this is a quote, he said, watching you, Heather, continuously show up for those in need without any stipulations is very encouraging to see. You are truly living out your faith and love for your neighbors and those that need it most. When Christians start serving one another in the world, the world takes notice, right? He was taking notice. He was noticing it. Now, next question, what do we do then when they take notice? Where do we have them look? Do we take the credit? Or do we have them look up? And not up like at the logo on the bell tower. <laughs> look up to Jesus. Look up to God. Look up to him to whom be all the glory and all the power forever and ever. Well, here was Heather's response. I don't want to embarrass her. But I want you to know the quality of the people who serve you here on staff. Here was Heather's response. Thanks so much. It's really because he loved me first that I can love others. And I'm so grateful that God has put people like you in our community to care for us. Your work is so important and thankless. And you are appreciated as well. Nailed it. 
Basically, don't look at me. Please don't look at me. Look up. Look up to the servant of all. Look to the one who loves us so that we can love others. Look up to the one who gave his life so we could live. And look up to the one who is coming again, the one whose arrival is near, and the one who will be looking to see what we're doing when he gets here. So again, I ask you, how would you spend the last day of your life? If you knew that Jesus is coming soon. He is. He is coming soon. So be sober-minded so you can pray. And serve one another sincerely, specifically, and by the Holy Spirit of God.